You are listening to Night Talk, giving you depth and texture to the conversations that matter. It is 13 minutes after 10 p.m. Good evening and welcome to Night Talk. Thank you so much for your time this evening. It has become apparent to us early this year when the ICC had issued a warrant of arrest to Vladimir Putin or a warrant of arrest on Vladimir Putin that the ICC can just about issue a warrant of arrest on anybody they feel like. Of course, it has to be warranted. Um, And the burden of arrest really only falls on signatories to uh, the Rome Statute. Uh, but the warrant of arrest, uh, the, the the global leader upon which the arrest warrant has been issued, doesn't have to be that. Um, and so perhaps we need to start the conversation there. Given that the ICC can issue a warrant of arrest on just about any global leader or any sitting head of state, why has it not yet done so for Vladimir Putin? Does the conditions and the factual basis for it exists to have been executed. Professor John Kiger, former research director in the Department of Politics and International Studies at Cambridge University, joins us. Prof. Kiger, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Welcome to Night Talk. Good evening. Uh, b- perhaps then to start with the rudimentary question, uh, procedurally, how does the ICC go about issuing a warrant of arrest? Can it do so at its own accord? Must there be a formal complaint with a body of evidence uh, submitted alongside that complaint? Uh, or is it entirely a, a permutation of different variations of, of, of processes that can lead to it? Well, there, there are principally two ways in which the court can be um, told to act. The first is if the United Nations Security Council mandates it in a particular, uh, on a particular question to investigate. And the second is if um, the court or its chief prosecutor believes that there is sufficient evidence um, to warrant um, an investigation uh, to find out whether um, sufficiently serious crimes have been committed the kind of crimes that would be known under the heading of war crimes or genocide or things of that nature. Yeah, and so usually uh, when when the chief prosecutor makes that evaluation, uh, is there a standard rubric against which that uh, uh, evaluation is made, or is it discretionary? Um, Well, there, there are... There are regular meetings of the International Criminal Court's state parties, those 123 signatories to the uh, the, uh, 1998 um, um, uh, treaty. And at at those meetings, they decide roughly what policy should be. So there are criteria that have to be met in order for a particular individual um, to be considered to warrant an investigation. Yeah. Usually questions around genocide and war are objective questions. There are treaties and statutes uh, to which members are signatories through which we can use the, I guess, the uh, political theory of the time to ask ourselves, definitionally, is this thing what it is? Uh, but the politics of the world is an evolving one, right? And that is to say the definition of what is a genocide isn't a static one, and it's one that seemingly changes uh, however minutely over time. Uh, does the committee uh, bother itself with that question? That is to say, is what is happening in Palestine 
a genocide? And do they have, I guess, the normative credibility and depth to answer that? Well, I mean, you've rather put your finger on it. Um, the, the, it is very difficult for the International uh, Criminal Court to be above international politics. Um, it is asking really uh, an awful lot because uh, the conditions and uh, terms of agreement that, uh, that, uh, that bound the, the court are extremely political. Uh, and it has to base itself not only just on the treaties, as you rightly say, uh, but also on on interpretations of the law right. uh, from the past. And that makes it extremely complicated and extremely, well, can I say, subjective. Mm, mm. Um, and as it currently stands, uh, perhaps let's bring a case study into play here. It had to ask itself that question about... <clears throat> My apologies. The, the 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 Russian invasion of Ukraine. What perhaps were the qualifying criteria there that warranted a warrant of arrest on Vladimir Putin? In that instance, what body of evidence was the court reliant on, or at least in this instance, the chief prosecutor reliant on uh, to see it fit uh, to ask the court to issue that? Well, I suppose. Uh, I mean, uh, I suppose one of the important things that would have been discussed first of all is was this an unprovoked attack uh, on the part of Russia against Ukraine? Uh, secondly, um, uh, were innocent civilians attacked seriously and um, taken um, as sort of a protection, uh, sorry, taken as targets in, in, the, in the invasion that uh, Russia carried out? So the, those are two criteria that I can see immediately that would have been important. Right. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to compare it with uh, with Gaza and, and Israel. But, be, but um, before and we then, do that, before we do that, yeah. perhaps just to then ask, does both those criteria have to be satisfied with the courts to issue a warrant of arrest? That is to say, must it be satisfied that the attack was unprovoked? And secondly, must it be satisfied or at least uh, at, at, a, at, a, you know, at a primary basis have some level of, of suspicion that there may have been uh, civilian targets, uh, civilians targeted deliberately uh, by the attack, that is to say by Russia? Or does only one of those questions need to be a yes for it uh, to trigger a warrant of arrest? Well, I'm, I'm not in the knowledge of the, of the chief prosecutor. And he, he will take into consideration not just two things. I've only mentioned two. There are going to be an awful lot more um, criteria that need to be considered. Um, uh, and uh, so it, it really isn't possible, certainly for me, to say that it's, a, it's only two. I'm not an international lawyer. I'm an international yeah. politics specialist, but not an international lawyer. So I wouldn't know the exact criteria on which the chief prosecutor will always base his judgment. And that will vary from prosecutor to prosecutor, because I think there's been a change in the last um, uh, couple of years. Yeah. To the politics of it now, it, it, it was uncontroversial when the ICC issued a warrant of arrest for Vladimir Putin, in part because I think there was a global consensus, if the United Nations vote was anything to go by, overwhelming global consensus that what Vladimir Putin and Russia did by invading Ukraine was wrong, uh, morally uh, cowardice and therefore sanctionable. 
but it's seemingly not the same in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, specifically the Israeli-Hamas conflict. There isn't a overwhelming uh, global consensus in either direction. I think that there are splits across the world about uh, who's morally at fault and 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 which side should be sanctioned for which. Uh, and we don't even have to get into the actual detail. You and I don't have to make that evaluation here. I'm just merely making an observation about the global dynamics. Does that perhaps contribute to the reason why, uh, you know, two, three months into, uh, um, two months into Russia invading Ukraine, a warrant of arrest was issued. And here we're two months into a, almost more than a month, my apologies, into a, 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 a Israeli uh, onslaught on Palestine um, and no issue, no warrant of arrest has been issued or no conversation overwhelmingly about that is taking place. Does the global consensus play a role in that at all? Well, I, I think it does. Um, I'll, say, I'll say why. Um, in the case of uh, Vladimir Putin and, and the invasion of Ukraine, as you rightly say, there was considerable, although not, it wasn't unanimous decision to, uh, to take action against, against Putin in the international court, criminal court. In the case of... Um, Israel and Palestine, um, at the moment, only three countries have asked for the ICC to investigate, as far as I understand it, and that's South Africa, Switzerland, and Liechtenstein. Uh, for the moment, uh, there isn't perhaps sufficient evidence gathered, although the chief prosecutor is gathering evidence and has suggested that there are grounds for um, um, action to be taken by the court against individuals both in Israel and both in Hamas and perhaps other um, organizations uh, in Palestine. So that is as far as it's got. It's in yep. its pretty initial um, uh, terms of, of reference at the moment. It's only looking at those to see whether they apply. And they're beginning to suggest that they may do apply. But after that, then it gets far more complicated. This question might be a little bit pedantic, but can the ICC issue a warrant of arrest or take any sort of action, investigatory or otherwise, against a non-state actor? Well, that's, uh, that's an issue in itself, because, of course, uh, Palestine is a non-state uh, actor. I mean, yeah. Palestine isn't a fully, Hamas in particular. Uh, fledged state. And Hamas is what's called a non-combatant. Uh, if we uh, if we don't call it a terrorist organisation, it's it's a non-combatant. And as, as a non-combatant, combatant, it is not. It doesn't fall under the regime of the of the Geneva Convention of 1948. And as a consequence of that, it is to be dealt with differently. And that is why the United States, for instance, which itself is not a signatory. Uh, to the uh, Rome uh, Convention, um, has said that uh, it is not possible to prosecute um, uh, Hamas or um, the other terrorist organizations uh, through the ICC, that the ICC is irrelevant to that and that Geneva Convention does not apply. Yeah. Is there enough of a body of evidence um or at least is there enough of a speculation of evidence, at the very least, 
for the ICC to ask itself some serious questions about the state actions and decisions of Prime Minister Netanyahu? Yes, I, uh, I think there is. And um, uh, that is, in, in effect, what is happening at the moment. The, the chief prosecutor is gathering evidence, but he isn't able to gather evidence uh, from all of the parties. And so that is why I think things are, are stalling a little bit. For instance, it's not possible for him uh, to go into Gaza for all of the obvious reasons that we understand. So without going onto the terrain, it's very difficult for that to happen. I think more of that happened in the case of Ukraine, where, I, if I remember correctly, the chief prosecutor was able to go into some of the um, towns that had been uh, bombarded by the uh, Russian forces and consequently see the consequences of that or to uh, witness certain massacres that were said to have happened. So the evidence gathering has to happen first before uh, the court can proceed any further and whether it will really make a decision about whether uh, either of the crimes that it has jurisdiction over, such as war crimes or genocide, which it has a much, much harder yeah. uh, barrier to cross, uh, whether they have been committed. Yeah, I mean, uh, Israel unprecedentedly, uh, you know, berated the United Nations and more than a hundred United Nations, uh, uh, you know, employees have been killed uh, in combat um, by or at least by rocket strikes uh, coming from Israel. Um, and, you know, Israel then says to the United Nations, you guys have yourself to blame. It then goes as far as having denied aid um and this is all on record, right? Denied the entry of aid into uh, uh, Gaza, and then eventually, after some really, really tough negotiations, were able to open up some of the corridors for aid to enter Gaza. They had cut off the water supply, electricity supply, internet at some point, and even food in Gaza. Uh, and this is not disputed evidence. It's all on record, and they've all admitted to this and made it quite clear that that's what they did. Um, is that the minimum threshold or do you need something more than that? Uh, the one piece of evidence which is seemingly in dispute is whether or not it deliberately targeted a hospital with 500 children in it. Well, <laughs> it's very hard for uh, us and even more so for the chief prosecutor who has not been on the ground to determine all of these things, because there are no, well, there are not many journalists present from different sides. Uh, there are a, a number of journalists who have been killed, and uh, so they were obviously present. But it is very difficult, I think, to, to make a judgment about what has really been happening. And the interpretations that one can give are, are varied from what, whatever one's standpoint is. Because the Israelis would say that um, they were un they were unprovoked, in a, attacked uh, un without provocation, uh, and that they declared war. And under the rules of war, uh, which are tightly confined, I admit, under the rules of war, though you are allowed to to prosecute your enemy. Now, how you prosecute that enemy is to a certain extent defined by the International Court of uh, uh, Criminal Court and also by the Geneva Convention. 
But a lot of that is, is really reliant on, on a good deal of interpretation. And so there are going to be an awful lot of uh, lawyers very, um, uh, very busy uh, as soon as all of the evidence is actually gathered. Yeah. And perhaps the last theme to explore here, uh, Professor Kiga, uh, and this is the real political question of the day. If the ICC were to issue a warrant of arrest on uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu or any other Israeli state actors, it could be the Minister of Defense, um, what effect, if any, will it have on this war? Well, that's, that's another important question because there are some states that say already... Uh, and I, I refer you again to the fact that for the moment, as I understand it, only three states have actually suggested that the ICC should uh, carry out its investigation. It has, in fact, been charged with doing so by three humanitarian organizations, yeah. which are non-state actors. So um, the the uh, question is, um, sorry, I've gone and forgotten your What what would be the impact of a warrant of arrest, if any, at all? I mean, it's would Israel lose any more credibility than it's currently busy losing amongst what was previously some of its staunch allies or moderate allies that are on the fence? Uh, Will it, uh, you know, at all make the Israeli government rethink its actions and perhaps, you know, de-escalate and perhaps even take seriously question and plea for a ceasefire, or are Will it have no such effect at all? Well, uh, as I was sorry, I was trying to say a little bit earlier is that some states suggest that this will make it more difficult to find a settlement, because uh, if um, uh, Mr. Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, is declared an international criminal, uh, then it is likely that Israel. Uh, will become even more recalcitrant about about to coming to some permanent settlement. Yeah, uh, and um, the United States and perhaps a number of other Western nations as well uh, will suggest that um, this is not a good way to proceed. And I, I've noticed that none of the uh, none of the Arab countries have actually. Um, expressed a, a need for the ICC to intervene, or at least not officially yet. And I wonder whether that's significant, because what a number of them already seem to be thinking about is how to organize things after this uh, terrible war uh, has ended. And um, that is what they are concentrating on, and they think that uh, the ICC will perhaps muddy the waters and not allow... Um, the process to go ahead towards peace. Yeah. Professor Kiga, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your insights this evening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you.